This is Andrew Womack, and this is our second tape in this series entitled The New You. This is talking about what's next, and it's assumed that you've already listened to the first tape talking about what is a Christian. And we discussed some very fundamental things, talked about a lot of things, didn't go into complete detail on any of them, but just some basic things that should keep you busy for quite a while studying those kind of things. On this tape, I want to just begin to start giving a very broad picture of some things that need to now begin in your life and become habits with you as you continue to walk with the Lord. Uh, I want to make it clear that these are not things that you have to do in order for God to love you because God loves you just like you are. As I said on my last tape set, Romans 5, 8, God loved you while you were a sinner so much that he died for you, and he loves you even more now. And if you don't continue and grow and do all of the things that you should, it doesn't affect God's love for you, but it will affect your love for God. Your love for God can grow cold, is what the scripture says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. And that definitely is happening uh, today. There's a lot of people who at one time were very excited about the Lord, and now they aren't. They aren't even seeking God. They may still hold on to the fact and believe that they are saved, and they may still be, but, you know, it's just not the same. You don't want to just see how little you can get by with you have a brand new life, a tremendous treasure from the Lord, and you have untold potential on the inside of you, not only for yourself to realize your full potential and satisfaction and joy and enjoyment, but you can be a blessing to other people. So your mindset shouldn't be is how little can I do and still go to heaven? How little can I do and still have God love me? The answer to that is that you can do very little and still have God love you, and still squeeze into heaven. But you aren't going to have the rewards in heaven, and you will not enjoy the abundant life here on the earth. That's not the mindset. And so, yes, God will still love you if you don't go on and do these things, and I want to make that clear, but this is for your personal growth. It won't make God love you more, but it will make you love God more. Now, I'm just going to mention this. I'm not going to spend any time on it because I have an accompanying tape album entitled, What is the Baptism of the Holy Spirit? And for everyone who receives salvation in my meetings, we also lead them in a prayer to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we also provide them with this two-tape album entitled, What is the Baptism of the Holy Spirit? So I'm already covering that. In that other tape album, if for some reason you're hearing this tape, you do not have that second tape album, you can request it through our ministry. I'm not trying to minimize the baptism of the Holy Spirit by any means uh, by not discussing it right here, but I just have another two-tape album that covers that. But let me just put in here that once you are born again, the very next step in your salvation should be to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. God intended for him to energize you with his supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Just look at it this way. Jesus, who is the sinless Son of God, never performed a miracle that's recorded in Scripture, never ministered, never did anything until the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he, would, he quoted 
in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, in his hometown synagogue, that the Spirit of the Lord God was upon him and had anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to um, set at liberty them that are bruised, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, Jesus was saying that God had anointed him to be able to do his work. Now, if Jesus, the sinless Son of God, needed to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, well, then certainly every one of us do. And it's a direct command, and we need to receive that. So again, I have that two-tape album, and I encourage you to make sure that you follow through and get that, because that is a necessity to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's also a necessity to recognize that the Word of God is invaluable in a Christian's life. If you are coming from a background where you have not put an emphasis on the Bible, then this may sound really strange to you. But I tell you, my personal experience as well, I, I could teach this from Scripture, and I have a tape set entitled A Sure Foundation. There's four tapes in this album, and this is actually the very first thing that I teach in our Caris Bible College. I teach that because, you know, all of the things, all of the wisdom, all of the things that I consider to be guidance from God comes through the Bible. And so as I'm using the Bible as my authority for teaching things, it's just useless for a person to listen if they don't agree that the Bible is authoritative and that it's the foundation of the Christian life. And so this four-tape album entitled A Sure Foundation is all about the importance of the Word of God. And I'm not going to spend time to teach on that, but let me just say that the Word of God is essential. The Scripture says about itself that we should desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. You need to look at it like a little baby needs nourishment, and God's Word is different than any other book. It's God-breathed. And some of you may not have experienced this before, but now that you're born again, you can experience this to where when you read the Bible, it just comes alive, comes alive to you. Now, one of the questions that many people would ask is, well, what version do we use? And uh, that's something that I could spend an hour or two teaching on that. I'm not prepared to do that. Let me just say this, that any version that you use, if you truly use it, is going to be superior to not using any at all. I would rather have people reading the Bible, whatever translation it is. I, I believe that there are translations that are better than others, but for me to be able to explain that, uh, I'd have to get into all kinds of details. And again, I don't want to make a long teaching out of this. I want to go on and say other things. But I believe that there's some that's better than others, but if you go to studying any of the translations, there are enough truths represented there that the Holy Spirit can use that in your life in a powerful way. As you continue on to maturity, I believe that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you towards certain versions, translations of the Scripture. I personally use the King James Bible. A lot of people disagree with me on that and think that it's outdated, that we need to get something that's more up-to-date. But I personally, I was raised with this, and so the terminology, changing a ye to a you and a thee to a you, that, that's not hard to me. 
and it's not a problem. Some people, that just really puts them off. It's not a problem to me, and I do believe that it is a very, very good translation. But am I opposed to people using a more modern translation? No. Again, I believe that there are uh, some potential problems, but if you will just start studying the Word, God will guide you and all of that. But you need to have this foundation of the Word. The Word of God will just come alive to you. It says in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That says that the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's living. It's different than any other book. You don't read it with your head. You read it, and of course you're reading the words with your mind. You're thinking about it, but your heart has to be open, and God will speak to you through His Word. So again, I recommend that four-tape album entitled A Sure Foundation. Also, I'd like to mention that uh, as you're studying the Word, you need uh, some foundational understanding about it. If you just took the Bible and read it, you would eventually learn all of the things. Like, for instance, I didn't go through seminary. I haven't been through a Bible school, and I'm now pastor of a Bible school. But, I mean, I just started studying the Word 16 hours a day, and it totally revolutionized my life. But there were things that it took me a decade to learn, or two decades. There's things that I'm still learning. And if I would have had some guidance, I think it would have made a difference. Now, there's a potential problem here. When you get guidance, you need to make sure it's the right guidance. People can prejudice you and steer you in a direction that's incorrect. But there is a place to receive from other people, yes. And uh, if you just took the Bible and studied it just from Genesis to Revelation, I believe that all the revelation you need is there. But there are a lot of differences. For instance, the difference between the Old Covenant, that's the first books of the Bible from Genesis all the way through Malachi, uh, that's the Old Covenant. And then Matthew through Revelation is the New Covenant. There is... Two totally different ways of God dealing with mankind. And many Christians don't recognize this. They just think that it's all one Bible and it's all saying the same thing. Well, it's all pointing to the same God, but there was a different way of relating to God under the Old Covenant than under the New Covenant. And you need some guidance in that. I have a tape set entitled The Nature of God. I also have that in a book And uh, if you were to get that, I guarantee you it would explain the true nature of God and harmonize why he dealt with people harshly and severely under the Old Covenant and how he deals with people in mercy and grace under the New Covenant. And that could really help you and set you on a right path. But you don't take the word of any person, not my word or anybody else, because I could take a truth. I could have something that God showed me, get a word from God and make a paragraph out of it. I could say some things in the process of trying to make my point that aren't 100% accurate. And so the Word of God has to become the final authority. You listen to other people, but you always compare it to the Bible, to the Word of God, to see how it matches up. And if it doesn't match up with the Word of God, especially if you are brand new 
Don't be so arrogant that you just say, well, you're wrong because maybe you don't totally understand it. But until you do understand it, until you can see that the word of God is saying the same thing that you are hearing someone else say, then you need to let the word of God be the final authority. Let it be absolute uh, highest authority in your life. And that is very, very important. So, again, you just need a lot of understanding about how that the word of God is so powerful. Uh, I don't particularly have a lot of teaching on this, but there are other books uh, by people who uh, they're called apologetics, Christian apologetics. If you were to go to a Christian bookstore and ask for Christian apologetics about the Bible, there are people that have gone through and researched all of the thousands of prophecies and how they've been fulfilled down to the letter and show you mathematically that this is absolutely impossible and it validates the authority of the Bible. You will hear people criticize the Bible as being only the opinions of man and there's inaccuracies in it. And you can get apologetics. It will explain and show you how that there are not all of these inaccuracies. And those things, if you have a problem with that, you need to get this established. And the bottom line is you need to come to recognize that the Word of God is not a book by man about God, but it is actually God speaking to you through men. And they were supernaturally inspired, and it was protected and preserved, and there are not errors, and you need to take it and interpret it and believe it as it was written. Man, there are, there's a lot in what I said. And uh, again, I don't have those Christian apologetics the way some people do, but they are available, and I encourage you to get those. Also, the Scripture says that you need to be water baptized. And uh, there's a number of places. Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time teaching on this. I do have a tape by an associate minister of mine, Don Crow. He's been with me for, I don't know, uh, forever it seems like. He was in my... Uh, wedding. He was the best man at my wedding, and that's been over 30 years ago. And Don has a teaching on water baptism and the uh, commands in Scripture, what is the true deal on baptism, and I encourage you to get that tape. Uh, we also are making that available through our ministry, and I believe that that would help you. Let, real quickly, let me just say this, that water baptism is not in order to be saved but it is because of salvation. In other words, it's just an act of obedience that separates you from your previous life. It's symbolic when you go under the water of being dead. You can't live under the water. In a sense, that's like you died and then you were resurrected just like Jesus. Romans chapter 6 says this in the first few verses there. Let me turn over here and read this. In Romans chapter 6, it says in verse 2, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore you are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, this is specifically talking about our baptism into Christ. The word baptism is actually what is called a transliteration. 
Uh, what that means is that there there was no word baptize or baptism in the English language, but their Greek word baptizo was used in the Greek edition of the Bible. When the Bible was translated, this King James edition of the Bible, the uh, common practice of the church at that time was not immersion in water when you baptized a person, but rather it was dipping or sprinkling. They would take a baby, an infant, and they would just dip their finger in the water or they would grab a little instrument and they would just sprinkle this and they call that baptism. Well, the very Greek word baptizo literally means to dip or immerse. And so that was contrary to the common practice. And rather than translate this and say whosoever has been immersed in Christ has uh, you know, put on Christ. Rather than say that, it would have gone against their tradition. So they didn't mistranslate it. They just brought that Greek word across and created a brand new English word, baptize or baptism. And uh, you could call that a cop-out or whatever. But anyway, it has been adopted into our language. And now it literally is just talking about being immersed. And there are different types of baptism. You can see this in Hebrews chapter 6. It says that there is a doctrine of baptisms, plural. Baptisms. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, it says there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's talking about one baptism into the body of Christ. In other words, this word again, baptized, means to immerse. When you got born again, you were immediately put inside of what is called the body of Christ, the universal church. You are a part of every believer who has ever believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't matter if they go to the same church. If you agree exactly, if you have faith in the Lord, you are a part of that body. You are immersed, baptized into it. Now that is specifically what Romans chapter 6 is talking about, that you were baptized into the body of Christ. But that is symbolized through water baptism. And water baptism is commanded. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter 16, it commands us to go and baptize. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We were commanded there to baptize. And you can see by example in the book of Acts, which is after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and in Acts chapter 1 he ascended back into heaven, and then the rest of the book of Acts is talking about the first century Christians and how they shared the gospel and spread the gospel throughout the world. And you can see numerous examples that when people got born again, they were immediately water baptized. On the day of Pentecost, they were water baptized. In Acts chapter 8, Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. And he also baptized the people in Samaria who had received the gospel. And on and on you can see this. And so by example, as well as by command, you are supposed to be water baptized after you are saved. If you were baptized as a child in some religious uh, system where they baptized, you know, where they sprinkled or did all of these kind of things, that isn't sufficient. Because in Acts chapter 8, where Philip was ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch, after he had already preached the gospel unto him, the Ethiopian eunuch 
uh, said, here is water. What does hinder me from being baptized? And Peter said, if you believe, and this is in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And so Philip made it very clear that faith in Jesus is required before you receive water baptism. So if you were baptized as an infant or as a young child or any time prior to your true conversion, well, then that was not a scriptural baptism. You have to believe first and then be water baptized. Now, I hate to even bring this up because I it shouldn't really be brought up, but the church today has segments of the church that teach that water baptism is when you get saved and that you cannot be saved if you haven't been water baptized. And I think that causes a lot of confusion. It would be my preference to not even mention this, but since this error is out there, it needs to be clarified. And again, if you would get Don Crow's tape on water baptism, it would explain this in much, much greater detail. But I think that this error comes from when Peter and the apostles preached on the day of Pentecost and there was 3,000 people saved when they heard the message they said uh, what should we do and Peter told them this in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 he said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost now, some people have said, well, this right here says you have to be repent and be baptized for the remission of sins or for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, I think the key to understanding this, if you look the word for, that little three-letter word for, up in the dictionary, it can mean in order to obtain, and that's true, that is one of the definitions, but it also means because of, as a result of, or since. And this is what this scripture is saying. In other words, repent, and that's putting faith in the Lord, and then to prove your faith in the Lord, or since you've been born again, or because you've been born again, or as a result of being born again, then be water baptized. This is not saying that water baptism produces salvation. If you teach that, the people who teach this also believe that you have to adhere to every other thing and you have to be totally holy and they put you under a system where salvation is not a gift but where you have to work and earn it. And I do not believe that that is accurate at all. So I think that this is important enough for me to mention it. Again, if you would get the tape on water baptism, it'll go into more detail and it'll give you a really solid foundation on this. But I do believe that it needs to at least be mentioned. If you need to seek out someone and receive water baptism, but don't do it in order to be saved. It is a sign of your salvation. And to prove that further, you can turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. You find a man named Cornelius who God appeared to through angels, told him to send to Joppa and get Peter, bring Peter into his house, and Peter would preach to him. And as Peter was preaching, Cornelius and all of his household received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. And after they had done all of those things, Peter said, Well, can we forbid water baptism to them, seeing as how they've received the gift of the Holy Ghost the same as we have? In other words, they were already born again, had received the Holy Spirit, and then 
they were baptized after. Anyone that preaches that you must be baptized in water to be saved has problems with Acts chapter 10 because they were saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then water baptized. So there's just a lot more explanation. But it is important that you become water baptized. It's an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. The Lord told you to believe on him and be water baptized. And it needs to be dunking and not just a sprinkling. I'm not going to argue over the method of it, but that is scripturally what it means, and that's exactly what the word means, and I don't see any reason to compromise and go another direction. And so you need to also receive this water baptism. Let me also say that all of these things I'm talking about, getting a sure foundation to where the word of God comes alive in your heart, and uh, going on receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, receiving water baptism, and all of these things. This can all be facilitated. It can be made much, much easier if you get involved in a local church. And I tell you, this is really important. And I know that I'm speaking to all kinds of people. We have people come to my meetings that are just straight off of the street, people who have been hurt in churches, people who have never darkened the door of churches, and just all kinds of situations. And I'm aware, because I deal with a lot of people, that there's many people who love God, they just don't love his people. They just don't like Christians. And before I go on and emphasize how important it is to be in the church, let me just acknowledge that, yes, there's been a lot of hurt done by Christians. And sometimes some of the meanest people you will ever meet claim to be Christian. And they possibly could be saved, but they certainly aren't reflecting God the way that they should. And I'm aware that that happens. I really am. I've been hurt. I've been kicked out of a number of churches. I've had Christians say things and do things to me that unbelievers have never done. You could just look at the life of Jesus. And the unbelievers actually heard Jesus gladly. And they welcomed him. It was the religious people who persecuted Jesus. And it's been that way in my life. And I'm sure that there's many of you that have seen the hypocrisy and the mean-spirited things done in church. And because of this... You may want to commit your life to the Lord and have a relationship with God, but you don't want anything to do with church. I'm not saying that I totally uh, do not associate or identify with what you're saying, but I still believe that's the wrong attitude. It's like fixing a boat that's got all of these leaks in it. You know what? It's better to be inside the boat working on repairing it than it is to be outside there in the ocean and possibly drown. The Lord created the church. The church is basically a group of his people that meet together for the purpose of edifying each other, encouraging each other, praying for each other, loving each other, etc. Now, it doesn't always function that way. And yes, there are wrong churches. But all of that being said, the church is still the greatest institution on the face of the earth. It really is. If you are going to grow in the Lord, it is very important that you get in a church. Now, I will admit that there are some bad ones. There's been bad things, but there are great churches out there, and it's worth the effort to find a good church. You know, I heard a story one time about a man who had gone to church. He had been hurt, and so he quit going. And he stayed out for a long period of time. Finally, the pastor went over to visit this man. 
And this man was not wanting to talk. He was sitting in front of his fireplace, and he was sitting there with his hands kind of arms folded, and he didn't want to talk there. It was hard to explain what the pastor wanted to say. So the pastor just sat there for a while. They were staring at the fire, and the pastor reached over, grabbed a poker, and took a coal from off of that fire and just separated it and moved it out on the hearth. And it just sat there by itself, and it was glowing, and it was red hot. Over just a few minutes, that thing began to cool off. Eventually, it began to smoke, and it finally got just cold. It totally died while the fire was still going. And then the pastor took that poker and put that same uh, coal back into the fire, and once again, it heated up and began to glow. And he basically just told this man, he says, you know, that's the way it is with a Christian. You tend to cool off if you are isolated, and that's just the truth. And I tell you, there is so much that you can learn through other people. You need to be discriminating. Yes, you can't just take every person who claims to be a Christian and believe what they believe. They have to prove it by the word. And even people who have a lot of good things in them can make mistakes, and so you never just swallow anything whole hog. But nonetheless, you can decrease the amount of time it takes you to learn something if you will listen to other people who've already been through that. Now, that makes sense. In the natural realm, we do that. I mean, you don't just learn mathematics. You don't come up with the whole uh, psychology of mathematics and invent the whole thing. You take what has worked for centuries and you learn what other people have done and you put it into practice. You don't just make up a language. You are taught a language. We do this in every area of our life, and yet when it comes to our relationship with God, we just want to totally bypass people, not learn from anybody else, and get everything totally from God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. And then He goes on to say in verse 12, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God gave these gifts to the church so that they can help perfect the saints and accomplish the work of the ministry. That's what God's Word says. You may not like it. You may have been hurt. You may have a million reasons why you don't want to go to church. But God said He gave these people to the church to help perfect the saints until we all come together in the unity of the faith and under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We certainly aren't totally united and we certainly aren't totally mature. And so until that happens... God is using these gifts in the church of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and you need to submit to that system. You are not obeying God if you don't get involved with other believers. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, doesn't mean that you lose your salvation, but it does mean you're going to have hurts and pains, and you're going to be by yourself instead of having the support system of other believers. You need to get involved in a good church. How do you find a good church? Well, this is somewhat subjective, and I don't have a a just definite formula. Let me say, first of all, that I have a lot of people, because I minister on radio and television, who come to me from, I mean, obscure, remote places. I have people that come that literally there is not a strong, good church in their area. The churches that are there 
are old churches that are just not teaching the things of God. And there's a lot of bad stuff that's going on. And so I've had those people come to me and because they were committed to God and they didn't want to compromise, they said, I'm not going to a church that doesn't just preach the word of God perfectly. And I understand what they're saying. In a sense, it's a good desire. But remember this, that a church does more than just preach the word of God. Now, that's an important part of what's being done. And I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm not saying that you just totally ignore what they're teaching and you sit and listen to things that are wrong, especially when you're brand new. You can't do that. You're like a little plant. And when you are, you know, when you plant a little tiny plant, it has to be in a greenhouse or in a protected environment. It can't withstand the wind, the hurricane, the rains, the flood, the cold and the heat. You have to put it in a protected environment. But as it develops deep roots and as a like an acorn grows into a big oak, that can withstand a hurricane. It can withstand cold. It can do things. So when you become mature, you may be able to stand and listen to people say things and it not affect you as much. But when you're young, it is important what you hear. It really is. In my younger days, when I first got really turned on to the Lord, I mean, if a person would get up and just preach something that was totally contrary to Scripture, I'd just get up and walk out right in the middle. I had enough tact that at least I didn't cause a scene, but I'd just get up and leave. I would not listen to that stuff. Now, if I'm in a church service where somebody just says something totally wrong, I probably wouldn't get up and walk out because I've matured. It's not going to hurt me. It's not going to damage me the way it would have when I was young. But even now, I still won't sit under wrong teaching just over and over and over knowing that that's what I'm going to get. I can tolerate little things here and there. And so when you're young, yes, it's very important what you hear. But you need to recognize that a church supplies more than just the teaching of the word. You can actually get taught the word of God through my tapes, through my television, my radio broadcast, my books, my videos, and other people like that. You can get the word of God and feed yourself at home. But a church provides, that's important, but it provides even more than the teaching of the word. It provides fellowship, relationship. Christianity is a relationship with God and with his people. You know, when the Apostle Paul, before he was converted, his name was Saul. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. And he was a hater of Christians. And he was actually going to Damascus to destroy, to kill Christians. And on the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared unto him in a blinding flash of light. And when the Lord spoke to Paul, he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Notice he didn't say, why do you persecute my people? He said, why do you persecute me? The Lord becomes one with those people who have put faith in him. If you are a brand new believer, you are now one with God. And when somebody touches you, they touch the apple of God's eye. God loves you and God loves every other Christian and he said in the 13th chapter of John, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples and that you have love one for another. He goes on to say in First uh, John chapter 4 that if you say you love God, but if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you truly love God whom you have not seen? 
What all of this means is that Christianity is a personal relationship between you and God. That's true. But you can't say that you truly have a relationship with God if you refuse to have a relationship with God's people. You need to be plugged into a church. The Lord commanded us in Hebrews chapter 3 not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and even do it more as the time gets closer to his second coming. We need to be meeting together. You need the support. So the church not only teaches the word, but it provides you with relationship with other people. And I tell you, there's some things that you could never learn unless you had to put things into practice dealing with other people. You will not mature at the same rate and have the same benefit if all you do is stay shut up in a room somewhere studying the Bible. As important as I believe the Bible is, it has to be put into practice. And when the Bible says, turn the other cheek, you know, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. If somebody sues you and takes your coat, give them your cloak also. That's one thing to hear those things and say, all right, I'll do it. And then it's a totally another thing to do it. You need to act out the word of God and church gives you an opportunity to do that. Also, church will provide you with things that a ministry like me cannot do. For instance, you can hear me teach on the word of God and tell you about healing and all of these things. But if you get sick, the Bible says in James chapter 5, if anybody's sick, let them call for the elders of the church and let them anoint them with oil and pray over them and the prayer of faith will save the sick. You cannot call me and get me to come pray for you. You know, if you're a close friend, you could. But I'm saying that the average person who hears me on radio and television, I cannot go and pray for you, but the local church can. If you are hurt and if you need counsel, you can't call me and get hold of me, but you can get hold of a local pastor. You need help with your children, your grandchildren, other friends. You can't bring, not everybody's willing to come hundreds of miles, thousands of miles and go to a meeting and listen to me. And they may not even be able to talk to me personally. But you know what? You can take family members, children, people to a local pastor and get personal one-on-one ministry. If you need somebody to be buried, did you know what? A local pastor will do that. I don't do that. There's things that the local church can provide. They can help you with your children in ways that I could never help you with your children. They can provide godly role models. They can introduce you and your children to other friends of like-minded faith. That is very important. I tell you, you can tell a lot about a person by the people that they hang out with. I think the most important things in your life are what you read. And after you're born again, that should be primarily the Bible and who you hang out with. That doesn't mean that you hate people that are non-Christians and that you reject them and refuse to associate with them, but you should not be, as it says in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You can befriend them. You can, you can uh, share things with them. You can be around them, but there shouldn't be a strong bond with unbelievers because they will affect you. And you need to establish believing friends. And you find that in church. Again, I know that there's a lot of bad churches and stuff. I've heard all of these arguments. But I'm just telling you, if you have respected me, if you've responded to the things that I've said, if you've been born again, I'm telling you from my experience and from the Word of God, 
that it is God's instruction for you to find a good church. So I got started on all of this by saying that some people who I know that live in remote areas don't have a church that really preaches the word real strong, but you've got to evaluate. The church also provides fellowship with other Christians. It provides counsel, ministry to you and to your children. It does a lot of services beyond the preaching of the word. And so I would tell a person, if they are strong enough, to be able to withstand a little bit of doctrinal difference. If the doctrinal differences aren't the core beliefs, they're kind of external things, I would suggest that you still be involved in a church, even if it's not a real strong faith-teaching church, just because of the other benefits. Now, if you're in an area where you have a choice, well, then I would always recommend that you get a church that's going to preach the whole counsel of God as closely as you know what that is. Now, I came out of a denomination that the people, basically, all they did was preach how to get saved. And that was good. I got saved in that church. And I appreciate that, and I thank God for that. And there's a lot of good people that have come out of that denomination. But you know what? My father died at the age of 54, and he was one of the leaders in that church. But the reason he died is because they didn't believe in the miraculous power of God, the healing and miracles, things like that for us today. Since you didn't believe it, the Bible says in Romans 10:17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you don't hear the truth of the word of God on it, you won't have faith for it. So my father died. I was fatherless at the age of 12. My mother, I believe at the age of 38, was a widow. There was hurt. There was pain. There was problems that came into our life. And it's not the fault of that church in the sense that they caused it, but they didn't equip us. They weren't telling us the truth. I would suggest that you find a church that preaches not only the forgiveness of sins and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, but healing, deliverance, prosperity, everything that the Word has to offer. And I know that there's some people who are saying, but I've been in this church, my family has been there for generations, and I just want to stay there. You've got friends. Again, that is one consideration. But if they aren't preaching the whole counsel of the Word of God, if they are anti-baptism of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, healing, deliverance, prosperity, there will come a time that you will be sick and you'll need this. And you know what? If you have compromised simply because your name was on a pew and you didn't want to leave there because dear old Aunt Susie was the song leader in the church then there's a very good possibility that you're going to die and you're going to be frustrated because you personally believe that God heals, but you haven't been taught the word and you don't have faith for it. It could be the same thing in the area of prosperity, the same thing in the area of your marriage or whatever. You need to go to a place that you can wholeheartedly support and get behind that message. And uh, so just some real simple things. Again, this is an ideal situation. There could be extenuating circumstances that would keep this from operating. But you need to go to a place that preaches salvation as a gift, and all you have to do to receive it is believe that you don't have to earn salvation by your goodness. You need to go to a church that continues to preach the grace of God even after salvation. There are a lot of churches that will teach very strong that salvation is a gift, but then after you get saved, they teach that you have to earn the favor of God. You have to do things to make God answer your prayers, and that just simply is not so. 
I would like to encourage you to listen to an album that I have entitled You've Already Got It. It's a six-tape album, and I tell you, that is an amazing truth. If you could get hold of that, uh, the truths that are on that tape set, then I can guarantee you it would um, steer you towards a right church. But you've already got it. God's already blessed you. Don't fall back into legalism, a works performance mentality. You need to go to a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, miracles, interpretation of tongues, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. That's a good kind of church. You need to be in a church that is uh, embracing those things. You need to go to a church to where the uh, pastor is not mean, that he's a loving person. I just don't understand sometimes why people go to a church where the pastor is just mean. I've seen a lot of that. You need to find a church where the pastor actually loves you and is concerned about you and wants to do something to help you. I think that's important. It's not necessarily better to go to a big church or a little church or anything. It just There's a lot of variation here. Sometimes a lot of it has to do with relationships. If you plug in with some people, I've seen some huge churches that had some small groups that a person could be nurtured in and matured and it'd be wonderful. I've seen some small churches where the intimacy there is just very conducive to spiritual growth. There's a lot of variation here, and um, I, I just can't say one way or the other, but you do need to be in a church, and it's very, very important. Let me take this passage of Scripture from John chapter 8 and just share some things with you that Jesus was speaking to some people who believed on him. Jesus taught some very, very strong things here in John chapter 8. And going on down to verse 30, he had been saying some very hard things, and it says in verse 30, As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. The word indeed means in truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now let me say some things here that are very different than what the average person says, and yet I believe it is 100% according to Scripture. The Lord never intended you to be forgiven of your sins only and just survive in this life and then go to heaven. And then when you all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. That is not the way that Christianity was intended to be. That's kind of the way it's been portrayed by the typical church. They preach, believe on Jesus so you won't go to hell. Well, it is true that if you accept the salvation that Jesus gave you, you won't go to hell. And that would be wonderful if that's all there was to salvation, but it's not. The real purpose of salvation was not to get your sins forgiven and not go to hell. But the real purpose of salvation was to bring you into an intimate, close, personal relationship with God. Now, I've got a tape entitled Eternal Life. This is a single tape. But I tell you, it is a powerful, powerful tape. Matter of fact, I had one of my employees one time ask me that if I only had one teaching that I could give people out of all of the things that I teach, what would it be? And I thought for a moment, then I said, it's this tape on eternal life. I mean, this is the core of everything. Jesus didn't come just because he was the creator and he had a sense of debt 
or obligation, and he felt responsible, so he provided salvation for the human race. But it's like John chapter 3, verse 16 says, God so loved the world, he loved you so much, that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The churches basically put a period after not perish, so that it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes on him would not perish, period. And they said that's the reason that Jesus came, is to save you from hell. But actually what Jesus did, he came and gave himself for your sins so that you wouldn't perish, but you would have eternal life. And eternal life as defined in John chapter 17 verse 3 is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ intimately. So what Jesus really came to do out of love, out of compassion, out of passion for you, He died for you so that he could have relationship with you right now in this life. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world. Yes, there's an evil world, hell, in the future that he delivered us from too, but it says he came to deliver us right now and to bring us into intimacy with him. So what I'm saying through all of this is, that Jesus did not just come and forgive your sins so that after you die, you could enter into heaven instead of into hell. That is true, and that is a wonderful benefit. But Jesus came and died for your sins to give you an intimacy with him, joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Bible says in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. You will never know true joy and true happiness until you get intimate with God, and that is for this life, this life. And so, I say all of this to say that getting your sins forgiven is essential. You cannot have relationship with God as long as there is sin separating you from God. You need to get that barrier taken out of the way, not only for past, but present and even future tense sins. You need to get your sins dealt with, and that's what happens when you get born again. Then you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and start having the Spirit of God flow through you and reveal God to you. But that's just the beginning. That's just the equipment so that you can move on in. And what Christianity is all about is truly becoming a disciple of the Lord. The word disciple means a learner or a follower. And this is what the Lord really encouraged us to do. He never told us to go and make converts. Just tell people to get your sins forgiven so that you would go to heaven. He told us to bring people into relationship with him. And part of that process is telling them that they are a sinner, that they do need their sins forgiven, and they need to get that taken care of. But why? So that they won't go to hell? No. So they can enter into relationship with God. And one of the benefits is that you won't go to hell. But the real purpose is so that you can have relationship with God. You need to become a disciple. And going back to John chapter 8, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, in truth. To become a true disciple of Jesus, you have to do, you have to get into the word of God and do what you're instructed to do. You need to have a heart to say, Father, I'm laying everything on the table. I'm not saying I'll follow you if this and if that. 
I'm just simply saying that there's only one God, and I am not him. You are God, and I make you my Lord, and I'm going to take your word and whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. And you start studying, and then you do it, and if you do that, you will become a disciple indeed. And then it goes on to say in verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In John chapter 17, I believe it's verse 17, it says, God's word is truth. You shall know the truth. That means you shall know God's word, and God's word shall make you free. And it's only the word that you know that makes you free. You can carry the Bible under your arm, and it's never going to set you free. you got to take it off of that page, and through meditating in it, Put it in your heart, and when it becomes a part of you, when you act on it and you believe what God says to the point that you will act on it, then it becomes a part of you. And that part that you know intimately like that will set you free. And that's what the Lord wants you to do, is to become a learner, a disciple of him. There's many ways that this is done. Part of it is through the church. A big part of it is through the church. It's through your personal relationship with God and other things. I would like to mention this, that I do have a discipleship program. It's entitled Discipleship Evangelism. And it's actually, uh, I think that there's six videos and six audio tapes in this set. And on there, there are 48 lessons. And uh, anyway, it's a long process. I haven't got time to explain all of it. But what it does, it just takes the foundational truths and it goes through everything. The first 16 of the lessons are all about just foundational truths like what is salvation, baptism of the Holy Ghost, water baptism, um, forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and just foundational type truths. Then the next 16 sets are all about how you relate to other people and get needs met like healing, salvation, uh, deliverance, how you do all kinds of things, finances, just these things about how you walk out the Christian life. And then the third segment of 16 is all about how you begin to start taking these things that you've learned and you disciple other people. You make disciples out of them. It kind of brings you in a full circle, starts you at square one, makes a complete loop, and brings you back to the place where you can start teaching other people. And this is done by, like me and Don Crow. Uh, just get on the video, and for 10 minutes we say these radical things, like it's always God's will to heal. God never fails to heal anybody. And on the surface, it looks like, well, that's not true. And then after you watch the 10-minute video, there is a lot of printed material that goes through and just step-by-step walks you through what the Scripture has to say about it, and it's an entire lesson like that. So, It makes these points and then gives you the material to be able to follow up. It's ideal for you sitting and studying with someone else or discipling someone else. And anyway, we have complete information about that available. I would encourage you to take advantage of all of these tapes that I've mentioned. The one on spirit, soul, and body. The one on uh, a sure foundation, the nature of God, water baptism, the six-tape album entitled You've Already Got It, the individual tape entitled Eternal Life. I tell you, these tapes would be just a great beginning to your Christian life. And I think that they would really help you. That's the reason we've designed them. And then if you really want to go on, and I mean just become mature and help mature other people, we have this entire program 
of discipleship evangelism. And I think that that would really be a blessing to you. Well, praise God. I'm glad that you've made the greatest decision in your life, and that is to put Jesus as the Lord, as the center of your life. And I pray that you, as a brand new babe in Christ, will begin to hunger and thirst to know more so that you could become a partaker of the divine nature of God through the knowledge that's been imparted unto us through his word. Praise God. That's the reason our ministry is here to help you with all of these resources. And I pray that this tape set has been a blessing to you.